Hi, Michelle Florendo here, and welcome to Ask a Decision Engineer. Listen in and find out how to untangle big decisions with less stress and more clarity. What should I do with my life? It's a decision that inevitably comes up, whether I'm talking to students, mid-career professionals, or even C-suite executives. There are so many different aspects of this decision that can get people stuck. And today, you'll hear me talk through a number of them. In this episode, you'll hear from a university student feeling lost about her next steps after graduation. Listen in. All right. Why don't you give me a recap of what it is that you're on the precipice of deciding and what is difficult right now? Yeah, sure. So I'm currently working on my master's thesis, which is in cognitive science. And then hopefully in a few months, I'll be finished with that. And then after that, I'm I, like I've started looking for work and hoping to transition to like working in industry. So I'm still not sure exactly what I want or, or which area I want to go into because my previous background is in physics. So it's kind of uh, not all over the place, but it's like more broad. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm like still thinking about trying to decide what to do after that. Mm, okay. So graduation's on the horizon. You're looking into getting that first full-time job after yes. schooling and trying to figure out what direction you want to go. Yeah. So how have you been thinking about this puzzle? Yeah, so I try to see, like, first, what do I want? Like, what interests me? Mm -hmm. But then I also look at what's more realistic, what's more practical, like, in terms of um, financially. Mm. Uh, But it's, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Like, the hardest part for me is just, like, like knowing what I want, like it seems like I don't really know what I want. So mm. that's what makes my decisions really hard in general. Because yeah. if I knew what I wanted, I would just like do it, right? Right, <laughs> it would be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what I want. I hear this a lot, but it usually isn't the case that someone doesn't know what they want, especially when it comes to career decisions. What they actually mean is, I don't really know how to answer the question I feel like I'm supposed to know the answer to. Or in other words, what do I want to be when I grow up? They don't know the name of the role or the name of the company at which they want to work. From a very early age, we were taught that knowing what we want in our career meant being able to answer the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, with the name of an occupation. Those are high expectations, especially for people who may not have had any full-time work experience under their belt, like new grads. And it's these expectations that keep college students stuck, focusing on the answer they don't know, rather than the answers they already do know. It seems to me that you've already made some decisions around how you want to spend your time. And so you already got a bachelor's degree, you're working on your master's. You know, if you've had these experiences over the past years, what are some of the things that you enjoy doing or learning about? Okay, yes. So lots of things. 
which is also like I see kind of as a curse a little bit because like I'm just interested in too many things to just stick to one thing. So mm -hmm. recently I've been interested in like I've been learning 3D animation mm -hmm. with a software, just teaching myself. Um, like in terms of hobbies or just in terms of more intellectual things? All the things. Okay. <laughs> well, like anything that has to do with the mind, like psychology, cognitive science, how it works, like this is, is in education, so education related things, artificial intelligence, also physics, like I still read physics news, like mm -hmm. still keep up with them. Um, skateboarding, painting, drawing, those are the things I do. Um, in my free time yeah so, yeah okay yes. well especially since we're we're talking about the things that you want and I think you had attended one of my workshops and so one of the things I talked about is how every single decision has three parts the first part is what are your objectives or in other words what is it that you want in the outcome second is what are the options that you can choose among and then third is what information do you have on how those options may deliver against those objectives. But while we're talking about objectives, you know, when I speak with people who are, especially at the beginning of their career and also have many interests, sometimes it's useful to, to have a framework in which you can categorize your interests or at least think through okay, what might be the things that would be relevant in my job search, right? Okay. And yeah. so I'm going, I'm going to draw a picture because I'm a visual learner. And yeah. sometimes it's, it's easier for me to explain things in this way. And so I'm drawing a, it's a triangle and I'm going to divide okay. it into three different layers. So you can imagine it's a pyramid and then there's one layer at the, tip top, one layer in the middle, and then one layer at the bottom, which is kind of like the foundation. Yeah. And so this is, this is a simplified version of some of the research done on happiness by Dr. Seligman. My guess is that in the end, you're trying to find a career and a life that makes you happy. Is that a fair yeah. assumption? Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So one of the types of happiness comes from, I'm going to call it pleasure. This is here at the top, pleasure okay. or positive emotion. But sometimes I'll, I'll reduce it down to pleasure. These are things that, that sometimes are sensory. This is like when you talked about skateboarding, that sounds yeah. like something that brings you pleasure. Like for me, yeah. eating chocolate brings yeah. me pleasure. Dancing yeah. for the longest time, I actually in college, I had sta started a hip hop dance group and oh. I was known as a dancer. And that was something yes. that made me really happy. But the thing is, it wasn't going to be something that I built my profession around. It made me happy. It's something that I like doing. But was I going to become a professional dancer? At least, like for me, no. And so there might be some things that make you happy, but when you think about, is this something that I want to do professionally? Mm, the answer may be no, but that's also good to understand what falls in that bucket because the way that this fits into the career decisions is 
you may want to make career decisions so that you still have time or you have the resources to yeah. do the things that give you pleasure. Like I, I also like traveling before I had kids. I mean, I still like traveling. I just can't do it as much. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. So when I make career decisions, I think about, oh, how does this fit into enabling me to do the things that give me pleasure? Oh. Right. So when you think about your interests, there may be, what are some of the things that might fall into this bucket? Can I ask something? About sure. That? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like most of the time, like what I've heard is like people say like, you need to find the thing that you're really passionate about or that makes you really happy and you'll be doing that like your whole life. So that's why I'm always, like, it's confusing because yes. oh you, your job might not be the thing that makes you so happy. Right. Oh, passion. Passion is such a tricky word because we can be passionate about so many different things. And it's not that I disagree that passion can be a way to think about careers, but I think because passion is used all over the place, then it makes it confusing, which is why here, maybe if I talk through the other two levels, it'll become clearer. So again, I'll use myself as an example. I danced for most of my life. It was a big part of my life up through college, but that's not what I wanted to do professionally. <laughs> like it, it's, that's something I wanted to keep as a hobby. Like I know some people who really love cooking, but they would not want to work in the industry because it would just spoil it for them or it just wouldn't make sense. Okay. So that's the top layer. Now in this middle part of this, I'm going to, I call it the happiness pyramid. This is all about flow. So this is what are the things that you do where when you're doing them, time flies, like time becomes nothing. You could be doing something for four hours. You look up the clock and you realize, what? It's been four hours already. And then you also wish, oh, but I want to keep doing this for four more hours, right? What might be some of the things that come up for you when you think about this layer? Like they kind of overlap with the pleasure ones. Yeah. Some of them mm-hmm. like skateboarding and, or like drawing or something artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, also like if I'm doing deep work. So sometimes I'm programming or uh, yeah, like thinking of more like intellectual stuff. So where I have to focus a lot. Yeah. And then just time goes time goes by really fast then as well. So mm, okay, uh, yes, so, I think you're both in some intellectual things, some artistic things. Some mm-hmm. of them have overlap, and yeah, that's totally fine. The reason why I I make a distinction between the two though is when I think about the pleasure thing. This tends to be more like a woo yeah it makes me happy it's kind of like it's like more of a, a surface level fleeting happy or positive yeah. emotion kind of like you're on a roller coaster we or like it's like eating sugar yeah <laughs> I don't know if you're a sugar person but yes every once in a while yes. I'm a sugar person but we can't eat sugar all the time no <laughs> that yeah, would be all bad but when we're in a career we do have to work probably, I mean, typical, at least in the U.S. is, or in North America, eight-ish hours a day, 40 hours a week. And so it's not like, at least when we start our careers, we can't be eating sugar all the time. Yeah. Yeah. If there's little bits of it, great. But 
we also have to think about like, okay, where else are we going to derive this happiness? And that's where it's useful to think about these flow things. And it does sound like maybe some of the things you said, some of the intellectual pursuits or programming might be in that bucket. This third one at the bottom is, and let me go ahead and label it, purpose and meaning. This is, the way that I describe this layer is on the bad days or when things are boring and tedious or someone you work with is driving you up the wall. The things that go in this category are what make it still worthwhile. I mean, one of the things that I heard you talk about, I think in, in some of the information you shared with me ahead of this conversation, and then even just now when you're talking about working with young children, what, what interests you about education? I think like going through the educational system and seeing how it's not that great in many areas just makes like makes me want to help people have a better experience because it's a really like it's a huge part of your life like well the beginning part yeah uh, so and it's like when you're learning and growing and it's very important so like if it's not great then you know the rest of your life might not it affects your whole life that's what I'm trying to say so yeah yeah I, I love like being around kids and like, seeing them explore the world like I know they're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have them in words about it. It's more like a feeling that I have inside. Yeah. yeah. I just want to take a moment to emphasize something here. Tuning into your feelings can be super useful when trying to articulate your objectives in personal decisions. This is why I advise against ignoring emotions completely in decision making. Sometimes a feeling will arise that points us in the direction of an objective that is actually very important to us. I can even see it on your face. And and sometimes (laughs) that's how we know what falls into this bucket. It's Mm. more of that internal feeling, right? For some people, it's this warm, fuzzy, or it makes us smile when we think about the why. Why are we doing this? And, and this is why sometimes I don't like talking about passions when having conversations with people at the entry point of their career, because yes, there's, there's a lot of language out there, especially on the interwebs, follow your passion, follow your heart. (laughs) What's useful to think about is less, less about how do I check off all of the boxes of all the things that I want? in a single job? And how do we think about things more from a, almost like a a menu approach? One thing that I thought was genius, a way of framing our, our careers is from a book by Pamela Slim. And the book that I'm talking about is Body of Work. And she talks about how when we think about our interests and our skills and our experiences. These are all things that that can go into and we can make use of in our jobs and our careers, right? It's useful to think about them as a pantry. 
Okay. So, because also, you know, it's not as if we just have one passion or interest or multiple passions or interests that don't change ever and are never added. And, you know, yeah. life would be so boring. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so she talks about pantry, like what is in your pantry and what are the possible recipes that you can make with that? Okay. Interesting. Okay. Now I am transitioning the conversation from a deep dive on objectives and that component of this decision. And now we're heading into how to think about the options piece of decision-making. It can be very constrictive for new grads to think that they must find the job that ticks all the boxes for what they want and need. Instead, it's worth creatively exploring how you might find a life arrangement, or in other words, a combination of various elements from your work and your life that satisfy the objectives you have. So, I mean, when you think about careers or jobs, in that way, like what might be a recipe to pull together some of these things? What changes or how does that feel in your body versus having to decide what job am I going to take? It feels like you have more freedom. So yeah, it, it feels less limiting, but it's still like my worry is still that like I'll pick the wrong one or I pick one and I stick to it for too long. And I could have just switched and tried something else. Like, I, I don't know where you would make that switch. Or I guess you don't have to make a switch if you're happy. But mm. yeah. Do you cook? Yeah, I cook, but I, I hate it. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to ask when you, I mean, when you cook something and you don't like what you just cooked, what do you do? Well, I have to eat it, but then I don't cook it again. So how might that apply to your career? Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. So you, like, you could try it out and then if you don't like it, leave. I've never had that experience of leaving, although I, I, I have had it. So yeah, I know it's possible to leave maybe because I've never done it so much to know yeah. that it is possible. Yeah. Hmm. One thing that I want to interject here is that when you take this pantry and recipe approach to life and work, when things aren't working, the first or only option isn't actually to leave. When it comes to generating options, consider what might be creative solutions you could explore to move the needle on how you get your objectives met. Sometimes you may be able to find solutions that are still within your organization and making that kind of shift will take much less energy than an external search for a brand new job. What I find really interesting is, at least in, in the US, the Bureau of Labor Statistics did some research and, okay, forgive me because these stats may not be totally on point, but it's something like the current generation that is exiting school. And actually, I'm pretty sure that these stats are maybe 10 years old. So. <laughs> Things may have even changed in the past decade, but among millennials in that generation, and I realize now we're kind of getting into Gen Z, but among millennials, the average tenure at a job, well, let me ask you, how many years do you think people stayed at their job? 
Mm. Like two? I mean, and how and how long do you think millennials will be living? Well, like a hundred years. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. I don't know. But even if we just do that math, that's going to be a lot of people who are switching jobs. Yeah. And so we know mm. that is that's actually a norm. Yeah, it just seems like a lot of work. Be switching all the time. I mean, if you, if you want to switch and you're into it, then yeah. I don't know. It's it's overwhelming. Yeah. Well, tell me more about what's coming up and what's where's the overwhelm coming from? It just it it seems like it would just be easier if like people knew what they wanted and they did that thing and then you know that was it. Like they had a, one role to fulfill and they they just did that because then it's more clear, like the path is clear. I know it sounds like it's not that interesting as like having lots of interests is more interesting, right? But it's also more uncertain. So that's what makes it harder. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. I mean, right there, there is, that is some wisdom there in that, <laughs> because there was a time, there was a period of time not long ago, I feel like the beginning of a movie now, there was a period of time not long ago when individuals had five different professions to choose among, and they kept that profession for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I mean, not to knock those people, but we now live in a time where you can have multiple interests. And many of the jobs that may exist in 20 years don't even exist today. Yeah. 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 And I want to acknowledge, yes, uncertainty can be overwhelming. And part of it is because of how, how we've been wired, right? Or I don't like cognitive science is a mix of, it's a mix of a lot of different things, including neuroscience and psychology, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you've probably read somewhere or learned already that the way that humans have evolved are our neurosystems like I, I feel like I'm making up words neuroscientifically. I don't even know if that's a word, but you know sure. our, our nervous system and our brains were not wired to like uncertainty. In yeah. fact, they were wired to like certainty instead because we needed certainty and we needed to be able to trust in certainty in order to survive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. At least in the, the settings that existed tens of thousands of years ago. Not anymore. I mean, it's not the same now. Right. It's not the same. And so our, our nervous systems haven't evolved as quickly as our environment has. And so we're left with a lot of these emotions that you know, kept us safe before, but sometimes just cause us stress now. Yeah. Yeah, but some people seem more like it's more okay with them for some reason. Like they're fine with uncertainty. In fact, maybe they like it even. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know how they do that. I don't know if it's a skill, if it's like an internal thing. It never changes in you. Mm. It seems to me that, yes, there's kind of like nature versus nurture. Some people may just be more naturally predisposed to be risk-taking. Like my two-year-old daughter is we call her the risk-seeking baby because she is more likely to jump off the couch 
wow. like or jump off of things that are as tall or taller than she is wow. that's my first kid who's five years old he's much more cautious um okay same parents but very different yeah. so maybe some people are more predisposed to be comfortable yeah. with risk and sometimes there's also the nurture piece there's you know we can because of neuroplasticity our brain is also like a muscle i mean of course physiologically it doesn't function like a muscle i'm not going to flex my brain but you get what i'm saying right yeah like there yeah. are things that we can do to practice developing certain neural pathways and I wonder what that might be for you. Like what might be little ways that you run little experiments to become comfortable with risk or uncertainty? Well, you know, that's a good question because I know I'm like very bad with taking risks. So, so I never thought about this before. Mm -hmm. I don't know what types of risks people take and like maybe even like switching up like something that I do the same every day just switching that up mm -hmm. how that would look like I'm not commuting to school now so I right. can't like change my commute yeah I have to think about that yeah sure. mm. one of my mentors from the past had this phrase that he would use often so Seth Godin would always talk about the this might work, this might not work. <laughs> and I wonder what are things that you could do that fall in that bucket? Sometimes what makes decision-making stressful is this discomfort with uncertainty. However, even though we live in a time where it seems like there is more information available than ever before, and that information may be even more accessible than ever before, the presence of uncertainty and unknowns is still a fact of life. Decision-making is not about clairvoyance. It's about resilience. How can you build the muscle of being able to sit with the tension of this might work, this might not work? Next, I explore what it might look like for this student, but it's a worthwhile exercise to think about what it might look like for you to develop more comfort with uncertainty. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna put on my career coach hat that sometimes I wear, used to wear years ago. So one of the things that can be so useful when you're at the beginning of your career is having conversations with other people. Yeah about what they do but yes. what does how or to what degree do you do that now well so I am part of like a mentorship program and I've been in lots of those so they connect you with a mentor and then there's also networking events that you have to go to mm -hmm. um, I, I don't like networking I hate it but like going to them like it's it's bad at the beginning but at the end I feel much better yeah. So I know they're helpful. Tell me more about the I don't like or <laughs> the networking events. I hate them. Yeah, I hate them because uh, I I just maybe I yeah I don't like talking to people that much. Maybe 
I think I don't like talking to them or I'm just scared of talking to them. But once I'm talking to them, it's not, it's not as bad. And, and I, I actually do love learning about people. So maybe it's just like the initial like awkwardness. Or I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But, but then once you get to learn about them, you can see all the things they're doing. And most of the, most of the time I'm like, okay, I don't like this. I don't like the type of work they're doing. So at least I know I don't really want to do that, mm-hmm. which is still helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear you're gathering information, but also that you're willing to lean into the discomfort because, you know, there's something that might happen. Yeah. Okay. We're having this conversation still in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Are these networking events still something that's happening like in the virtual realm? Yeah. Online. Yeah. They like, they put you in breakout rooms one-on-one You have mm-hmm. five minutes or like it's a speed networking and then you just switch rooms. Yeah. And then, you know, you have their LinkedIn profiles and connect afterwards. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what if every networking event was an opportunity to exercise your being with the, this might work, this might not work muscle. Okay. Yeah. So how, so what does that look like? Yeah. Well, when exercising a muscle, usually there are, there's like an exercise you do and you have to do a number of reps, right? Like (laughs) for the people who are listening on the podcast, I am pretending that I have a barbell in my hand and I'm flexing my, my bicep, (laughs) the things people don't get when they don't get to see the video. Yeah. And so what might be, what might be an intention or like an exercise that you might do? each time you step into one of these networking events? Well, normally what I do is I have to talk a little bit about myself and then I also mostly just ask them questions like about their work and if they like it or if there's something specific that I want to know about or like organization and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, I don't know anything else. Okay. And so, you know, one of the, one of the ways that you can, can play with what might work, might, what might what not, what might work, what might not work is to set an intention of what you want to try in that conversation. And so, okay, at networking events, you often have to introduce yourself. Yes. And so what if, what if you came up with different ways of introducing yourself? Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm listening. <laughs> I want to know what, what is the, the laughter oh. about? Well, like, it, it sounds kind of like acting, which I guess it kind of is like for me at least it is for sure Mm -hmm. Um, so then you're just like taking on some role and then seeing if it fits yeah 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 that's cool yeah can try that yeah especially because you know based on what you told me you even described yourself as someone who has many different interests yeah and so what might be one version of yourself that you introduce. Pick one of well, your like interests. My interests. 
I like working with kids. That's one of my interests. That doesn't really fit like at a like a government networking event because mm. you know that's not what they do. So I don't bring that up with them for sure. Okay. What is it that you bring up with them? Well, more like the like I guess what people want to hear, like data analysis, problem solving, you know, those like more generic skills that I have. Mm-hmm. Not so much my interests, more like my skills and my experience, mm. which are also interesting. But... <laughs> All right. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna offer something up. You can take it or leave it. Okay, so let's take that setting. So government government networking event, and maybe half the time you introduce yourself with just straight up, yeah. hi, I'm doing, I'm getting a master's degree in cognitive science, and I'm really interested in hearing about what data analysis or data science jobs you have, and you can just wear that hat. And then what if in the other half, you did say that, hi, I'm majoring in cognitive science, I'm I am perfectly capable of doing any of these data science or data analyst jobs you have. But what I really wish I could do or find a way that I could integrate into my job is my love of children. Oh, <laughs> okay, wow. Yes, I never thought about that. Um, I don't know how people would react. Exactly, we don't know. And this can simply be an exercise in, in being in the, I don't know how they might react. Okay. Okay. And then like, there could be like different versions. So mm-hmm. more than like children's one or like something else. Yeah. So this, okay. this exercise almost has two layers. One, it can just give you an opportunity to play with, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Can I be with that? Can I be with that? Can I just be with that? It might completely crash and burn. And can I see that I will live another day? Yes. <laughs> and also by just trying on different combinations, different recipes, if you will, of the things in your mm-hmm. pantry, who knows? Maybe that might actually strike a chord. Maybe you show up to one of these government events and you say, yep, I. I feel like I should say that I'm interested in whatever data science jobs you have, but I really can't wait until the weather gets nice enough for me to skateboard again. And where might that conversation go? What if that strikes a chord with someone? You have this interesting conversation that goes in a completely different direction. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, thank you so much. That's, that's a really good point. And something I can actually try out. Yeah. Sure. And oftentimes at these networking events, sometimes you may never see these people again. Yeah. So you can just play. For sure, yeah. It's much easier for me online. Because like, mm-hmm. even if they reject you, like it's a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. But I think that might be just a little thing to start with. Because I totally hear you about one of the most stressful things about decision-making is when we don't know how things will turn out. And just being able to sit with that. Yeah. I mean, the, the good news, though, is that you may have heard me talk about this before, but I always think it's worth talking about again, because we often forget that the quality of decisions is not equal to the quality of the outcome. And okay. so 
Yes. Because when you think about it, outcomes are a function, not, not like if I were to write this out, out you know, <laughs> function of decision and random stuff we have no control over equals yes. outcome, right? But we forget that sometimes. And so when things don't turn out, we feel like, oh, I must have made a bad decision. I shouldn't have done that. But it's very possible to make good decision and have an outcome that we didn't anticipate because there yeah. are things that we can't control. Yeah, like random noise. Yeah. Yeah. Like you may you may try out a funny intro with someone, but they had a really bad day because they're dog passed away or got really sick or something and it's not on you and they yeah. might be grumpy but can you be with the I don't know how it's going to turn out I'm going to try this anyway yes yeah okay yes I think I can be with that okay if you are feeling lost and are struggling to figure out what's next there are a number of things you can do to get yourself unstuck First off, if you find yourself saying, I don't know what I want, acknowledge that even if you don't know the title of the job you want next, there are likely things you do know about what you want. Brainstorm what feeds into the three different layers of the happiness pyramid for you. What brings you pleasure or sparks positive emotion? What are you doing when you feel so engaged that time flies? And what makes work worth it, even when not pleasurable or engaging? Those answers can give you a better picture of what you are looking for. Second, broaden how you think about the options you have. Instead of constraining yourself to thinking you must find the perfect thing that checks all the boxes, explore how you can get your needs met across a combination of elements in your work and personal life. Lastly, acknowledge that no matter how much research you do, there is still going to be some level of uncertainty and unknowns. Build your tolerance for uncertainty by starting small, where you can practice experimenting with, this might work, this might not work. You'd be surprised how a willingness to run small experiments can lead to untapped opportunities and more clarity as you carve out your path. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you heard something today that you found helpful, please share this episode or write a review. Also, if you're interested in more resources on how to make decisions with less stress and more clarity, go to askadecisionengineer.com to sign up for the mailing list. I'll be teaching a class on decision analysis and emotional awareness in a few months, and my email list subscribers will be some of the first people who get updates on that. Again, this is Michelle Florendo from Ask a Decision Engineer. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.